Happy Mooncake Festival. I mean, Moon <laughs> Festival. <laughs> We're going to tell you about some cool places where you can enjoy the moon in Taiwan. I'm Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. The disputed Diaoyutai Islands are back in the news after a collision between a Taiwanese fishing vessel and a Japanese Coast Guard boat. Taiwan, Japan, and China all claim ownership over the islands. The collision brings into question the future of a 2013 fisheries agreement with Japan, allowing Taiwanese fishing boats to operate in areas near the islands. Chinese warplanes have continued incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone this week. Two Chinese anti-submarine aircraft entered into the zone Tuesday on two separate occasions, and Taiwan scrambled fighter jets to chase them away. The time travel drama Someday or One Day was a big winner at this year's Golden Bell Awards, Taiwan's Awards for Excellence in Broadcasting. The TV drama took four awards, making it one of the year's most lauded new productions. Taiwan is gearing up for a spike in domestic travel with back-to-back -back long weekends for the Mid-Autumn Festival and National Day. Already, lodging at popular getaway spots in scenic eastern Taiwan is almost completely booked. Latecomers will just have to hope for cancellations, and everyone will need to be prepared for heavy traffic and crowds of people. Instead of a top story, let's have some mooncakes, Andrew. I would love that. And you're going to pour some, some tea. And some tea for us to begin Excellent. with. Excellent. And before we get into these, we want to tell you about a very special group of people that is creating some great mooncakes. Have a look. The Mid-Autumn Festival is a time for families to gather together and gaze at the moon. But that could be difficult for these inmates in northeastern Taiwan. Instead, they are wrapping their wishes into traditional moon-shaped pastries. One woman says she might set up a food stall in the future using the skills that she has learned. The mooncakes that they are making boast excellent quality. Two flavors in particular, green onion and curry pork, are getting rave reviews. One customer says she can tell that the pastry was made with good ingredients, adding that the lard and curry go together perfectly. It's great to see these women learning some new skills while they're in prison. Absolutely. But I can't help but think that at this time of the year when everybody's with their families, there are so many people that are not. That's so true. we want to think about them at this time of the year. All right. So we are going to enjoy some mooncakes. And we have with us Leslie Liao. Leslie, have a mooncake. Thank you very much. And some tea. Thank you. But uh, before we go on, guys, I think uh, you ought to see this week's hashtag really quickly. Uh-oh. Oh, now wow. he's got me worried. <laughs> What's coming up in hashtag? Really? Let's check it out. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about Moon Festival 2020. This year, it's coming up on October 1st. In Taiwan, we celebrate Moon Festival in many ways. We barbecue, eat palmellos, and of course, look at the moon. Oh, and we also eat mooncakes. Mooncakes are delicious, and they come in a huge variety of flavors. Generally, mooncakes are made with red bean, mung bean, or date paste fillings. Sometimes they'll have egg yolk, sometimes they won't. But mooncakes have also evolved with people's tastes. There are now cheesecake-filled mooncakes, ice cream mooncakes, and even Oreo-flavored mooncakes, like the ones seen in Vietnam I talked about last year. But did you know that mooncakes are deceptively calorific? Mooncakes are generally quite small, maybe about 3 inches in diameter, but they are dense. Check out this graphic, which has been circulating the internet for a few years now. This picture always reminds me to mooncake moderately, and yes, I used mooncake as a verb. 
A mooncake can be anywhere from 700 to 900 calories, which is about one-third to half the suggested daily intake for an adult. Even the most conservative mooncake, which is the baked lotus seed paste mooncake, is the caloric equivalent of five fried chicken drumsticks. I mean, personally, I'd choose the five fried chicken drumsticks over the mooncake, but that's just me, you know what I'm saying? Mooncakes are so calorie dense because of their high sugar and high fat content. Anyway, if I've successfully turned you off of mooncakes for this moon festival, allow me to suggest an alternative. Instead of enjoying mooncake with your mouth, enjoy them with your eyes. Ray on Twitter had the genius idea of judging mooncake emojis from different online platforms. Honestly, I didn't even know mooncake emojis were a thing. You might be wondering, how do different platforms have different emojis? Shouldn't they be all the same? In short, Unicode dictates what objects can become emojis, and tech companies are free to interpret the emojis however they want, within reason. First up is the Apple emoji found on iPhones. Ray says, nice egg wash, good bake, solid little sunny pattern. I actually agree, that mooncake looks pretty photorealistic for an emoji. Next. Google has the entire yolk in the side. Solid filling, some gradients, could be better on the rounded shape. I know some people will retch at the presence of egg yolk in their mooncakes, but I have come to enjoy it. Microsoft, this is a Ritz cracker. She's not wrong. Samsung also has a side yolk, but otherwise similar to Apple, but with a more traditional pattern. I use a Samsung and I never noticed a mooncake emoji, but then again, I don't really use emojis. I use the original emoji, my face. A cut yolk detail from WhatsApp. Facebook, please take notes. Wait, doesn't Facebook own WhatsApp? Shouldn't they be the same? A nice center yolk, but I don't know what this top is supposed to be, Twitter. Is it like a chocolate ganache? I would eat one. I would eat one too. Oh, you know this Facebook one is dense, like you need the whole family to eat one. That's a cake. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this detailed look at calorie-free, digitized mooncakes. I hope it helps curb your urge to mooncake excessively this year. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I really want a mooncake right now. Well, there's your mooncake, Leslie. Do you still want it? Not after using those 900 <laughs> calories. It's hard to believe, right? This small little thing can have half of your daily Egg calorie yolk. requirements. Egg yolk is very nutritious, actually. Very nutritious? That's the best part, the most nutritious part. We're going to try it anyways. Mmm. Oh. Mm, mm. Very flaky. It's all yellow inside. Yeah, I think I got all egg yolk. I got all egg yolk Me too. too. This it's is good. Delicious. Wow. Very good. That's amazing. Well, as you're enjoying your mooncakes, there's something <laughs> else you can do, and that is gazing at the moon. Now, the best place to do that, perhaps this year in Taiwan, is Taiwan's first international dark sky park. Now, where is it located? Well, that's the subject of today's Taiwan Explained. There are three international dark sky parks in Asia, one in Japan, one in South Korea, and as you might guess, one right here in Taiwan. Right, and you're going to tell us all about it, and you have the perfect outfit today. It looks like you have stars on your shirt. Yes, that's right. We, we planned this. The, the night sky, <laughs> she's the moon, I guess. And you're the sky. <laughs> so, international dark sky parks, as you can guess, uh, this is a very dark park. And it's designated by the International Dark Sky Association. So where is the park located here in Taiwan? Let's have a look. When you hear about Mount Hehuan, you might think about people climbing it like these kids here. It's one of the most popular hiking destinations in Taiwan. It's also one of the few places in the country and often the first each winter to get a dusting of snow. Hehuansan is located in the central mountain range. It stretches laterally across the island, straddling the divide between Nanto and Hualien counties. 
There are plenty of great reasons to visit Hehuansan, but if you need one more, Taiwan's first international dark sky park has a brand new stargazing platform just in time for the moon festival. A dark sky park means that the surrounding area is free from light pollution, and that makes it the perfect place for stargazing, or in keeping with the holiday spirit, looking at the moon. As you might imagine, a dark sky park has to be, well, dark. That's why these lights, which were installed to help people see where they're going, had to later be removed. It's a small price to pay to protect this perfect view of the night sky. So, Andrew, what exactly is an international dark sky park? That's a great question. Now, this is a designation which is given by the International Dark Sky Association. Now, it has to be a park which is open to the public with exceptional dark sky resources relative to the community around it. Now, there's a really rigorous process for determining whether or not a park can be an international dark sky park. In fact, it took them four years for Hehuanshan, Hehuan Mountain, to get this designation. That's a long time. And so, the main issue is cutting down on light pollution. That's correct. Now,、uh, one of the main problems、uh, of light pollution is something called sky glow. So, on the left, you can see、uh, that that's a rural area with a very clear view of the sky. And on the right,、uh, you can see it's a little bit closer to an urban area. So there's a major problem of sky glow. Just by comparison, you can see very few stars. In 2016, it was determined that 80% of the world lives under sky glow, and up to 99% of Europe and the United States also deal with sky glow. Now, light pollution, of course, is a big problem. There, you know, it's bad for humans, it's bad for the ecology, it's bad for the wildlife, and of course, it's also a big waste of electricity. Sure. So, what should we be doing about it? Great question. Here are some tips. So, only use lighting when needed. Use motion detectors and timers. That way, the lights aren't always on. Shield lights and direct them downwards so that it's not wasting the light on other things. Keep your blinds drawn. This will prevent light from inside your house going outside your house. And use warm, white, energy efficient light bulbs. So, there you have it. Those are some great ways to reduce light pollution. And of course, we're going to have some tips for you and some links in the show notes below. It looks like the weather is going to be pretty good this weekend for the Moon Festival. Fingers crossed. Yes. And that means that you'll be able to gaze at the moon if you like, or you can check out some of these great light festivals which are being held all over Taiwan. So, recently I captured these videos in Penghu at the Penghu Bay International Light Festival, featuring ocean inspired light displays like this projection I found in a forest of all places. One of my favorites was this set of what looked like snap apart pieces from a toy model kit showing how to have fun in Penghu. And I also love this installation. It's an angler fish with an actual lantern for the lantern that hangs in front of its face. And this Saturday in Taipei, check out the Nuit Blanche or White Nights event put out by the French Representative Office in Taipei City. The annual event, which is held all night long, was started in Paris in 2002, then it went global. But this year, Taipei will be one of the only cities in the world to host the event. There will be 16 visual displays and several dozen performances, all taking place this year in Nangong District. And finally, there's going to be a light show at the Queen's Head Rock Formation on the northeast coast of Taiwan. Great place for it, That's right? That's a beautiful place. Yep.
So every night from 6.30 to 9 p.m. between now and Sunday, October 4th, there will also be a concert on Saturday night featuring classical music as well as performers like Bobby Chen and Joe Hui. So there's plenty to do around Taiwan this weekend. What are you going to be doing? I'm going to Yamingsen for barbecue oh, at a friend's place. Excellent. I'm going to try to get out and see the Nuit Blanche myself. So we hope everyone has a great holiday weekend. Now, October is a great month to travel because we have two national holiday weekends. And so today I'm going to introduce a new national scenic area. Well, the youngest one. Mm. And you guys are going to see three pictures of it. Okay. And you're going to guess what's unique about this National Scenic Area from these three pictures, okay? Okay. It's a beautiful place. Um, let's take a look at the first picture. Oh, those are indigenous people. That's right. So this place is called the Saraya National Scenic Area. It's the first National Scenic Area named after indigenous peoples. So wow. it's a tribe, oh. um, the Saraya yeah. tribe. Now let's take a look. So there's a lot of you know, indigenous culture throughout the area. It's very beautiful. Let's take a look at the second picture. That looks wow. like a lake. Look at that. Is that Sun Moon Lake? Water. It's bigger than Sun Moon Lake. Bigger than Sun... I didn't Wait, realize what? that was possible. Yeah. What? Can it be? I didn't the, know that there was a lake bigger than Sun there Moon Lake. Is, it's one-third bigger than Sun Moon Lake. Wait, is it a... Is it, I know, it's a, it's, a, it's a dam, right? It's a reservoir, yeah. Oh, is it Sun Moon? Sun Moon Reservoir. Yeah. And um, it's the biggest man-made lake in Taiwan. Oh, it's man-made. And also, this scenic area has seven reservoirs. So the most of any national scenic area. This oh, is wow. just one of them. That's and you can you can go on the yeah, you can go on a boat to enjoy it. You can cycle around it. And there's seven really beautiful reservoirs to enjoy. Oh wow. That's amazing. A beautiful place. Let's look at this last picture. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure what's going on here. <laughs> That looks Guess like what a they're doing. family in mud. It looks like yeah, right. it looks like they're she's having, having fun. Time, right? So it's not quicksand. So not, <laughs> not quicksand. So. They're not playing in mud. <laughs> not playing in mud. Is it like mud baths? Yeah, it's like it's a mud spring. Okay. So, so that's a thing. Is this in Tainan? Yeah. Okay. It's Taiwan's only mud spring. Is it like Guanzuling? Yeah, something? it's Guanzuling. Oh, okay. Guanzuling is in the national. Have you been there? I've been to Guanzuling. And have you gone in the mud bath? I have. Really? What's it like? It's kind of interesting. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean? It's like hot springs, but it feels different. It has a different like texture to Does it. Does it feel like you're in a big chocolate fondue? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of, but not as tasty. Did I you put not. it all over your face? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's sure. good for your skin, it's right? It's good for your skin. Yeah. Exfoliation. A lot of minerals, mm -hmm. lot of minerals of... and very therapeutic. Did you get, feel really relaxed? Uh, always. Whenever I'm in hot, bubbly water, I always feel relaxed. So <laughs> this is the, yeah. <laughs> The only place in Taiwan with mud springs, but it's a really beautiful uh, national scenic area. And just this week, the Tourism Bureau put out a video about it. Ooh, cool. So let's check out that video. The Saraya National Scenic Area was established 15 years ago. Still, a lot of people have not heard of the place. So the administration decided to spend two years producing a video to capture the beauty of Saraya and share it with the world. The video was released on September 29th. The Saraya National Scenic Area is the last of the 13 National Scenic Areas to be established in Taiwan. It is also the only one named after an indigenous tribe. Though the tribe has not been officially recognized yet, it was made into a national administrative area in 2005 for the richness of its culture, ecology, and agriculture. Saraya has seven beautiful reservoirs, 
the highest number of any national scenic area in Taiwan. This includes Hutoupi Reservoir, which is the reservoir with the longest history in Taiwan, and Taiwan's largest reservoir, the Zhenwen Reservoir. Besides the breathtaking landscape, Saraya is also famous for its annual festivals, such as the Taiwan Cycling Festival. People can also go there to enjoy muddy hot springs and delicious local produce, such as mangoes, longans, and lotus seeds. It's time for our lightning round news quiz, where Leslie and Andrew get as many questions from the news as you can. You can play along at home if you like. So, you guys ready? I think so. Let's try it. Ready? Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. Okay, ready? Go. Why might Taiwanese entertainers get fined by the government if they perform at China's National Day uh, celebrations? They're, they're uh, going against the national security law. Yeah. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a law in Taiwan mm-hmm. yeah. for cooperating with mainland and political work against Taiwan. Okay. Wow. So, what Taiwanese brands won at the World Beer Awards? Taiwan beer. Taiwan beer. Nope. Uh, 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 buckskin. That's right. Oh, nice. How I many times <laughs> have Chinese warplanes come into Taiwan's ADIZ since September 16th? Oh. Uh, September 16th. 20 times. No. 15. Eight. 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 Eight times. Eight. A recent poll shows what percentage of Taiwanese believe the U.S. will help defend Taiwan. 60. That's right, if mm. China attacks. Which American actor launched his third Taiwan social media project this week? Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That's right. It's called Faces of Taiwan. In an annual ranking by Global Views magazine, what city was found to be the most competitive in Taiwan this year? Shizu, not yeah. Taipei. Right. For the first time, not Taipei. And we'll give you one last question. What did RTI launch this week? Our oh, app. app. That's our right. RTI yeah. Go app. It's RTI Go. RTI I downloaded Go. it. RTI to Go. RTI to Go. I downloaded it too. Yeah. Our face is on there. Your face is on there. I think it's great. Her face is on there. What do you mean my face is on there? Yeah. My face is on there. I just see this. No, no, no. Like, oh, you got to gotta scroll to go. around. You, they're not oh, going to put you on the front okay. page. you got to okay. work for it, Andrew. you got to find your face. Their faces <laughs> are on there. <laughs> so if you want to download it, you can, uh, you can, we'll, we'll have the, the link for you in the show notes. Yeah. Well. That's right. There are 11 languages and lots of um, features and news and all that good stuff. All right, it's time for our final question of the day. Now, earlier we had mooncakes with egg yolks in them, right? That's right. If you could put anything inside a mooncake, what would it be? Leslie? The only thing that comes to mind is like a fine custard. Ooh. You know, like an eclair filling. I would eat that. I think so, too. Nelly? I like some fresh strawberries and vanilla ice cream. Ooh, I would eat that, too. I would put... Pecan pie filling inside Ooh, my moon cake. That's oh, very, very sweet. Nice that's very crust. Thanksgiving of you, huh? I think so. <laughs> it's the same time of the year. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this inside look at Taiwan this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, subscribe and leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Happy Moon Festival! For listening to Radio Taiwan International. Tell us what you think of our programs. Email us at rti at rti.org.tw or write us at P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, ROC.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. How important is the median line of the Taiwan Strait? And what does it mean when China keeps crossing it with warplanes? Well, that's what Beijing has been doing recently at an alarming rate. And just last week, the foreign ministry in Beijing also said there is no such thing as the so-called median line. Now, this has all been occurring as the U.S. has been sending top officials to Taiwan in the last two months. Here to offer some perspective on the median line and what it means to Taiwan and China is top defense expert, Danjiang University professor Alexander Huang. Median line, or whatever people call ADIZ, air defense identification zone, it carries no uh, position in international law. So when we uh, heard the news and say, oh, the Chinese fighter jets get into the southwestern corner of our ADIZ, or they cross the median line of the Taiwan Strait, the most we can say is that China is um, um, not observing a status quo, or they try to uh, uh, confront against a status quo. Hmm. Uh, but we cannot say that they violate the international law mm-hmm. because uh, the airspace of Taiwan Strait is uh, open, uh, common for all countries. Mm-hmm. Um, not only uh, Taiwan or China fighter jets, other countries can also fly their military vehicle uh, through the uh, Taiwan Strait. Um, it's outside of Taiwan territorial airspace. Um, the, the median line is a line of alert, a line of possible response, a line of psychological defense. So we do not like to see that the median line is not observed by the other side. The median line is also based on goodwill. Um, so if both sides of the Taiwan Strait uh, are willing to show the goodwill or at least observe a tacit understanding uh, that we do not use military force to resolve political differences, then we can maintain such a median line. Uh, you cannot bring the case of last week or, or anything into an international court. Uh, it doesn't stand. Hmm. It is true that China is becoming more belligerent because they're not respecting this median line anymore. Well, I, I will begin by saying that China is now more proactive because uh, after Xi Jinping became the leader of China, he wanted to introduce a stronger ingredient or essence of nationalism. He wanted to show uh, the mainland people that China is now strong uh, and can express freely uh, in at least the regional uh, affairs. Yes, it's more belligerent compares to the behavior before. Uh, And uh, it should not be welcome or encouraged. Uh, And um, we don't know whether there is a perimeter for such a belligerent action. Hmm. Uh, if China continue to push, then there will be a time that one day, uh, you know, someone will pull the trigger 
uh, or push the bottom. So, so the, the, you know, maintaining a kind of uh, mutual understanding uh, is very important. What I want to say is that median line is something that psychologically we feel safe. But the real work that we need to do is to correct um, a kind of uh, state of no communication. Uh, when we have more military activities uh, in our vicinity area, uh, the number one issue for me as an expert is that uh, the parties involved should have hotlines or communication lines. So we can verify actions, we can call each other uh, to avoid misperception and misunderstanding. We have a way to explain to the other side that it was a mistake, it was an uh, unintended thing, uh, do not, it's not a big deal, or we apologize. So when we don't have such a communication line, so uh, the communication were only through newspaper statement or military actions. That brings up the potential of conflict. We don't have a hotline. We don't. Yeah. yeah. So do you think it is on in Chinese um, President Xi Jinping's on his agenda to take over Taiwan? Well, uh, ever since uh, the creation of the People's Republic, <laughs> That has been it's on the their sacred agenda, right? <laughs> mission that they need to do it. Uh, Chairman, Mao, Chairman Mao did not deliver that. Uh, Deng Xiaoping couldn't do it. Uh, and uh, Xi Jinping, of course, uh, in his agenda, he wanted to see uh, some kind of improvement, if not total solution, of the cross-trade political differences. Um, but sometimes, uh, I used to say that uh, there are questions that needs to be asked in church, not in classrooms, <laughs> uh, because only God knows the answer. Hmm. Um, I'm, I firmly believe that, uh, that, that we cannot determine when, uh, by what means, that the cross-trade uh, issue will be resolved entirely. But I also firmly believe that we can maintain peace if we are committed. Hmm. Uh, if we are committed, we, uh, we, we can ensure each other that, uh, that even with extreme unhappiness and anger, we do not use force to resolve problems. Uh, we will have to maintain uh, non-interrupted uh, communication. Uh, I think these are the things that we need to do. In short, I think uh, unification is something that could be determined by God, but <laughs> peace can be maintained by people hmm. across the Taiwan Strait. So communication is what you would suggest. Oh yeah, it's very important. So much of the increased military tensions have been because of improving U.S.-Taiwan ties. Mm -hmm. So what do you think China would see as the U.S. and Taiwan crossing the medium line um, in improving their relationship that would provoke, you know, a, a very big reaction from China. Yeah, I think there are several key uh, landmines on the red lines 
that if uh, United States and Taiwan together to cross that line, then it will trigger the landmine. One is to give Taiwan uh, a formal recognition. Mm, like uh, that would be interpreted as Taiwan independence or to create two Chinas. Mm. Uh, another big landmine would be uh, the United States' decision to station military force mm. uh, on Taiwan Island. Mm. Um, and that will be um, probably the, the end. The beginning of the end. <laughs> of the trust <laughs> okay. uh, between uh, uh, Washington and Beijing. Mm. Um, uh, there are something approaching to that red line, for instance, uh, based on humanitarian assistance uh, that the United States uh, military assets, uh, airplanes or warships uh, seeking assistance from Taiwan or, or try to have a short uh, visit to our military facility for humanitarian reasons. Uh, or mechanical mm. issues. Uh, these are irritating for Beijing for sure, but uh, we don't know how they're going to react to that uh, because it's all conditional mm -hmm. depending on the form, the format, and the time duration. Uh, so um, I, I think there are smart ways to, uh, to do it, to approach uh, and create a better U.S.-Taiwan relationship. Uh, you got to be smart uh, to walk around the red line, but not to touch on the landmines. And I, I do wonder because you know the U.S. is growing closer to Taiwan. We're talking about possible trade agreements, um, a big U.S. arms package, you know that Taiwan could buy. So does that mean that there's going to be more tension on China, on the Chinese side, and well, more of these, you know, threats of force? Well, I think, yeah, the, the closer the relationship between Washington and Taipei, the stronger reaction from Beijing. We, we knew it and, uh, and uh, we experienced it uh, all over the time. Uh, but I, for me, I, I worry more that, that the trade agreement, uh, the arms package, everything uh, is based on cash. Um, the closer relationship costs money. The poorer we're going to become. <laughs> yeah, the more the United States support, the more uh, that we need to pay for. Hmm. Uh, there is no free defense. Uh, there is no really free trade. Uh, agreement. Uh, we have to pay our price either to adjust our regulation domestically or we uh, uh, buy America. Um, and, and these are the normal thing that we need to remember. Uh, the United States will not support Taiwan without cost uh, and the cost is our responsibility to fulfill. Mm. And the planes we're going to buy. You have a pin right there, one of the American planes, right? Oh, yeah, that's F-16 <laughs> Viper. Um, the good news uh, was that uh, the Trump administration had agreed uh, in a pretty short period of time uh, to uh, sell Taiwan 66 new fighter jets uh, called F-16 Viper. It provides Taiwan 
fleet of um, uh, fighter jets with a much better capability uh, and, and a much longer range of surveillance capability. Um, the not so good news is that because of the COVID-19, the production line have been interrupted. So uh, we will probably see the airplane in Taiwan uh, in our next presidency. <laughs> uh, it won't come that soon, that early. Mm. Uh, and, and having this kind of fixed situation, then we understand why we need to be calm and uh, try not to uh, ignite uh, problem, uh, try to uh, deal with each other uh, before we get anything new. Um, so, so this is not a right time, rationally speaking, uh, to see a cross-strait conflict. I don't think that Taiwan general public is psychologically ready for a OR war uh, with ethnic Chinese across the Taiwan Strait. And don't forget uh, that we have more than one million uh, Taiwan citizens living on the mainland, uh, doing their jobs, uh, and make money, uh, and make a living over there. And Taiwan is 42% plus uh, relying on the cross-strait trade uh, to fund our national treasury. Uh, so the cross-strait relationship is an extremely complex, uh, multifaceted uh, relationship. It's not only military confrontation. We have many, many other areas. So if we put everything together, there is no reason for a war across the Taiwan Strait. Uh, we have to be patient uh, when we think about the bilateral relationship into the future. Well, thank you very much. I've been speaking with a top defense expert in Taiwan, Danjiang University, Professor Alexander Huang. John Van Trieste and the destination Kaohsiung. Since the early days of rail travel in Taiwan, the southern port city of Kaohsiung, formerly called Takao, has been an important spot. Early during the Japanese colonial era, just after the turn of the 20th century, the railroad connected the city and its port to points along Taiwan's western plains, all the way up to Keelung on the island's north coast. Today, the site of the city's first train station is home to the Takao Railway Museum, a tribute to Taiwanese rail history that continued to serve as a functioning station 
right up until the final train pulled away in 2008. Here, in among a collection of railroad memorabilia and examples of old trains, you'll hear the story of a station whose career followed that of the city of Kaohsiung as it rose to prominence. Here to tell us more about the museum and its collection is the museum's He Chenglin. By the time Japan took control of Taiwan in 1895, the city of Kaohsiung had already served for several decades as a center for foreign trade in the south. Before Japanese colonization, the island also had its first rail line, though not an especially long one. Early on, Japanese colonial planners decided to build on this early experiment with a railway. Their goal was a single line connecting the entire west coast of the island, where most of the major cities and towns could be found. By 1900, preliminary work on the railway had already linked up Kaohsiung with Tainan, the next major city to the north. A temporary station was built to serve Kaohsiung, but once the line was completed in 1908, a new station was opened on a permanent site, the site where the Takao Railway Museum is now. A large swathe of Taiwan was now linked together. Both passengers and freight came into the city and went out of the city by its new train station. The new Takao station was right up near the city's harbor, meaning that goods, shipments and passengers arriving into Kaohsiung by sea would make their way right from the docks into the station and onwards from there to their final destinations. Takao Station was a bustling place, filled with passengers and stevedores, suitcases, crates and pallets. Mr. Ho says that the station was also in one of the city's most busy centers, not far from where the city hall and city post office had sprung up. By 1930, though, it was obvious that Takao Station was too busy. Japanese urban planners realized that all this traffic was becoming more than the station could handle. They envisioned a new passenger station for the city, leaving the Takao Station on the harbor to handle freight. At the same time, these urban planners also drew up plans to build a new line locally, a ring line that would encircle the city. Around this ring line, they imagined, agriculture and industry would meet, and from the surrounding farms and factories, the military would be able to draw the supplies it needed for a policy aimed at driving Japanese influence deeper south into Asia. The planner's first goal, that of opening a new station, was met in 1941. Takao Station would indeed only carry freight from now on. The vision of a ring line bringing freight to the station, though, would have to wait. By 1941, Japan was at war with the Allies, and American bombing raids over Kaohsiung saw the destruction of local rail infrastructure. 
Mr. He says the old Takao station was among the sites that suffered heavy damage. Japanese rule on Taiwan ended along with the war in 1945. In the post-war years, Kaohsiung would turn into a center for heavy industry. The old Takao station was rebuilt and brought back into working order. Eventually, the Republic of China government that took control of Taiwan after the war decided to make good on the old loop line plan. When it was finally completed in 1967, there was plenty to carry. The line was flanked by factories and power plants, a refinery, plants processing aluminum and sugar, and many other representatives of the city's growing industrial power. Among the products shipped through the old Takao station was sugar, a product of Taiwan's tropical south that was finished nearby and sent to the docks for export around the world. As the decades went on, though, Taiwan's economy changed. By the 1990s, rising wages, environmental policies, and the effects of globalization caused heavy industry to start leaving Kaohsiung. Just as factories began to close or move away, the growing use of highway traffic in the area started to make freight rail redundant. Shipments dwindled. Many people also started to think that the freight rails got in the way. And Mr. He says there was discussion about moving them into underground tunnels where they wouldn't interfere with traffic. The old Takao station, decidedly above ground and with less and less freight to handle, now had an uncertain future. There wasn't any need to campaign for its physical survival. Mr. He says the station was declared a protected historic site in 2002. But by 2008, it was decided that its days as a working station would end, and the final train departed in November that year. After a debate about how the property should be used, the station reopened in 2010 as the Takao Railway Museum. It sits close to several other projects that have also turned pieces of Kaohsiung's heritage into cultural spaces. In this way, it seems, the old station continues to evolve in tandem with the city around it. I asked Mr. He about some of the historical artifacts and some of the historic trains in the museum's collection. He says that among the items on display are original wooden crates used to carry freight. The signs and logos painted on them indicated what shipments belonged to which company, as well as where each shipment was destined to go. Mr. He says that most of the trains on display are likewise connected with shipping freight. Among them are steam locomotives once used to haul coal, and a diesel-powered engine donated to the museum by Tai Power, Taiwan's state-run power company. It had once served at a plant in the north of Taiwan, and it remains the only engine in the museum's large collection that is still in working order, able to move around. 
Mr. He says that these trains and objects come not just from the Kaohsiung area, but from all over Taiwan, giving visitors a look back at how, for more than a hundred years, the railroads have made Taiwan run from end to end. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. There are three international dark sky parks in Asia, one in Japan, one in South Korea, and as you might guess, one right here in Taiwan. Right, and you're going to tell us all about it, and you have the perfect outfit today. It looks like you have stars on your shirt. Yes, that's right. We, we planned this. The, the night sky, <laughs> she's the moon, I guess. And you're the sky. <laughs> so, international dark sky parks, as you can guess, uh, this is a very dark park. And it's designated by the International Dark Sky Association. So where is the park located here in Taiwan? Let's have a look. When you hear about Mount Hehuan, you might think about people climbing it like these kids here. It's one of the most popular hiking destinations in Taiwan. It's also one of the few places in the country and often the first each winter to get a dusting of snow. Hehuansan is located in the central mountain range. It stretches laterally across the island, straddling the divide between Nanto and Hualien counties. There are plenty of great reasons to visit Hehuansan, but if you need one more, Taiwan's first international dark sky park has a brand new stargazing platform just in time for the moon festival. A dark sky park means that the surrounding area is free from light pollution, and that makes it the perfect place for stargazing, or, in keeping with the holiday spirit, looking at the moon. As you might imagine, a dark sky park has to be, well, dark. That's why these lights, which were installed to help people see where they're going, had to later be removed. It's a small price to pay to protect this perfect view of the night sky. So, Andrew, what exactly is an international dark sky park? That's a great question. Now, this is a designation which is given by the International Dark Sky Association. Now, it has to be a park which is open to the public with exceptional dark sky resources relative to the community around it. Now, there's a really rigorous process for determining whether or not a park can be an international dark sky park. In fact, it took them four years for Hehuanshan, Hehuan Mountain, to get this designation. That's a long time. And so the main issue is cutting down on light pollution? That's correct. Now, uh, one of the main problems uh, of light pollution is something called sky glow. So on the left, you can see uh, that that's a rural area with a very clear view of the sky. And on the right, uh, you can see it's a little bit closer to an urban area. So there's a major problem of sky glow. Just by comparison, you can see very few stars. In 2016, it was determined that 80% of the world lives under sky glow. And up to 99% of Europe and the United States also deal with sky glow.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.